Welcome to Crossroads of Culture and Christianity. I am your host, Jacob Jellison, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Hofe. Today, we want to continue our discussion that we started last week, speaking about the differences between Christianity and some of the other religions. What is it that separates Christianity from other worldviews? Things like Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, things like that. On this episode, we want to take some time, dive into the theology of Islam, and show why, number one, it's obviously incompatible with the Christian worldview, but also show why it seems like the Christian worldview is more is, is a more consistent worldview than is Islam. So for a few minutes today, we're going to dive into that topic and we're going to try to give you some reasons why Christianity seems to be a more consistent worldview. You mentioned the fact, Brother Jellison, starting out that Christianity and Islam are not compatible. Right. And it kind of is a naive view and approach. It's one that I think is pushed in some places. But it's very much a naive approach and view to say something along the lines of all religions are basically the same or, yeah. you know, uh, these these two religions basically teach the same thing. It's like what's interesting is if you ask the adherents of those two religions, whatever they are, the adherents of those religions are both going to, for the most part, emphatically agree that no, we're not at all the same thing, you know. And yeah. when it yeah. comes to Christianity and Islam, it's like again, it might be, it might fit in our politically correct ideas, you know. All religions are the same, and and Christianity, Islam, there's really very little difference. But there's actually a vast world of difference between the two. And Muslims predominantly would agree with that, and so would Christians. You know, it's. So the adherence of both religions, it's very different. Just to give one example, if I could, of the incompatibility and where they differ, you know, would be something along the lines of, so when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the highlight of those gospel accounts, it would have to be that very last portion of Christ's life where he's arrested you know, his last week there in Jerusalem, and then he's arrested, uh, and he's going to be tried, crucified. He's going to raise from the dead. Uh, and that last portion is kind of the highlight of those gospel accounts. Everything else is obviously valuable and essential to the story, you know, and his life is absolutely important. But it's like everything's pointing toward the mission of his life. And like yeah. John's gospel, I mean, even long before we get to the end, and the other gospels too, but long before you get to the end, you're already looking toward the end, you know, and it's already from the beginning, John chapter three, for God so loved his, the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know, and it's, we've got this idea just as Moses, you know, lifted up the serpent, even so, you know, the son of man has to be lifted up. And so it's like, that's the focal point, the cross. Christ upon the cross and and him paying the price that the world can be redeemed. But then when you come to Islam, the interesting thing is Islam teaches that Jesus was never crucified. So that mm-hmm. is a complete, I mean, stark difference between the two religions. 
Christianity is entirely based upon the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Uh, and Islam says, no, he was never crucified. Obviously, if he was never crucified and died, he was obviously never raised from the dead either. Uh, so that's just one example of huge world of difference between the two. There's no compatibility there. Paul from the Christian side is going to say, if Christ isn't raised, if he's, you're you're still in your sins, you know, and yeah, and so it's the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ is absolutely fundamental to Christianity. It's the heart of it. But in Islam, Islam says, no, it never happened. And so it's just a, a world of difference right there uh, at the start. But if I'm sort of diving into Islam and trying to look at not just the differences, but see how, in my estimation, Islam is, it fails at being a coherent explanation of Allah as as the fullness of all of his attributes. So, so for instance, Islam is going to say Allah is just. Well, Christianity says the same thing about her God. It's like mm-hmm. our God is just. And so Muslims say Allah is just. We say our God is just. Muslims say... Allah is merciful. We say our God is merciful. So you've got these two views that it's like what we say about our God. It's very similar from the Muslim and from the Christian, at least on these points. You know, he's merciful. He's just. But then when you try to play it out and figure out how that works in reality, it's like on the Islamic side, it it just seems to fall apart. So, for yeah. instance, I used to be interested, and and I think you you've been somewhat fascinated with legal studies uh, before. Yeah. And so, I used to be interested in in law and legal studies and and uh, courtroom proceedings, various things of that nature, and trying to understand how things work in the legal field and. And that that stuff fascinates me. But whenever it comes to justice, the idea of justice, it's like, so the Muslim says Allah is just. And then I take everything we know about justice and it's like, well, I, I try to put all this together. So in the Islamic picture, yes, Allah is just, but he's also merciful and then when I begin to look at how this all works, it's like in the big picture of things, in Islamic theology, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, it's like, well, what do we do with the problem of man's sin? Because the yeah. Muslim worldview still agrees that man has a problem. Uh, and so it's like, what do we do with that problem? For the Muslim, it's their salvation. I think last time we even touched on this, maybe you and I talked about it, but it's like their salvation is based on good works. And so if their salvation is based on good works, how do I deal with the problem? We'll just do good works. You know, what kind of works? Well, you're going to, and they've got a whole list of these different, what they call the five pillars of Islam. And so they've got these different good works that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, at some point in their lifetime, they need to make a pilgrimage to Mecca. 
Uh, and so there's just these different works that they need to do. They're prayers that they pray daily. That's a part of their good works. They're fasting during the month of Ramadan. It's like that's another part of their good works. They've got all these different good works that they're supposed to be about. At the end of the day, though, we come back and and it's like, okay, well, so you've done these good works or attempted to, and, and maybe they actually have done some good works. You know, one of the things they do is they're going to give some of their money to help the poor and things like this. And so it's like, well, maybe they have done some good works. But at the end of the day, if they had a sin problem and they had committed things that were against what Allah desired against the nature of Allah, um, and they'd committed things, sins, then now all of a sudden it's like, well, how did you deal with that sin? How'd you deal with that, that speech, the way you talked and you shouldn't have? It's like, what'd you do to take care of that? Well, nothing. They just did good works. And and so then we bring it back in the illustration, I guess, for me, this is just kind of a simplistic way of looking at it, no doubt. But for me, I just bring it back. And I, so my interest in legal studies, I say, okay, let's, and this is a very simplistic illustration, but let's suppose somebody had committed a horrific crime and maybe, maybe they had murdered someone and that's an awful crime to consider, but supposing someone had murdered another human being and now they've suppose it took a long time, several years for them to get caught. Uh, forensic science advanced to a place where they were able to piece everything together and they finally catch this person and the trial goes forward. And it's been several years ago that they had murdered someone. And now the, they, they get before the court and the evidence is heard, it's weighed, it's obvious they're guilty. And not only is it obvious they're guilty, let's suppose they themselves confessed to their own guilt. And so it's obvious they're guilty. Everything points to it. They themselves have confessed to their own guilt. And all that's left is the sentencing. We, they're guilty. Yeah. We just have to sentence them. And suppose this man stood up and said, Your Honor, I, I'd, I'd like to say some things to the court. you you, you got to understand, for the past 10 years, every time I go to the grocery store and, and I see an elderly woman with her shopping cart trying to load her vehicle, I, I help her load her vehicle. Uh, when I'm walking down the street and I see litter and garbage and trash, I try to pick it up and clean up the sidewalks and the streets. And they've got this whole list of these good works that they've done. And then they get around, they say, and your honor, I would just like to be shown mercy on account of all these years of good works. And supposing the judge turned to them and said, it's obviously that you're guilty, but the court is merciful. And so we're going to receive your request and we're going to grant you your wish you're acquitted of the crimes that you had committed because you've done good works. Well, it's like, yeah, we have mercy now, but we really don't have justice. Um, you, you could ask the family members left behind of that individual who'd been murdered. It's like, 
Do you feel like justice was served today? And overwhelmingly, they're going to, no, not at all. It's it's not right. It, there's a, something very unjust about the situation. And somewhere along the line, that individual has to pay the price for the crime they committed. Their crimes can't just go unpunished. They have to pay the price. And so in an Islamic picture of salvation, so to speak, it's like all it is is we just start doing good works. But there's, you take their bad works and you say, well, how did you deal with these bad works? Well, we didn't. We just started doing good works. And so if they get into paradise, into the upper levels of paradise, somewhere along the line, Allah is just dismissing all the bad works on account of the fact that they have done some good works. Well, that's not true justice. That's mercy. I'll grant it, that's mercy, but it's not justice. And so somewhere along the line, though they've been able to hold on to that idea of Allah as merciful, they've they've lost sight of his justice. The only way he can still be seen as just is if their bad deeds, their sins are actually dealt with somehow. And, and that whole concept of actually dealing with their sin is foreign to Islam. Um, they just do good works. But it all changes in the Christian worldview, and there's one event that changes everything, and that's the cross. That's Calvary. In a Christian worldview, and you know this, Brother Jellison, in a Christian worldview, when we look at it, there's not one sin that's left unjudged at the end of the day. It's like for the sinner, where's their, where are their sins judged? Well, in hell, in eternity, their sins are judged for the believer. It's like, well, all of us have sinned. So where are our sins judged for the believer? They're judged on the cross uh, at Calvary. Our sins are laid upon Christ. And, And when we get saved in Paul's theology, when we get saved, the cross of Christ, it becomes my cross as well. I'm crucified with Christ. And so there is a very real judging of sins in the Christian worldview. How do, how do we deal with the idea that in Christianity, God can be both merciful and just? How, how do we reconcile all that? Well, it's reconciled perfectly in the cross because at the cross, Jesus died in our place, and so there's the mercy. Now we can, his death becomes our death, and and so our sins are judged there. And yet there's mercy because we don't have to spend an eternity isolated away from God in his eternal wrath. Our sins were dealt with at the cross. But for Islam, since they've cut the cross out of their religion, and it's all based on works, uh, there really is a great difficulty trying to see Allah as both just and merciful. It seems to kind of fall apart. Right. Tell me now you, as we stated last time, we, we were together, you taught cults here at free gospel for several years. So you're, you're a lot more familiar with this than I am, but tell me if this is a fair assessment and this is kind of maybe just packing into a nutshell. That's exactly that would, which you just said, but tell me if this is a fair assessment. So what they've done 
per se. So they acknowledge Jesus. They just acknowledge that he was a great prophet. That's right. And as you said, they've cut Jesus, his, his crucifixion and resurrection entirely out, um, denying that. So it's almost like a revisionist history because that is a historical account. They, they, they can be proven factually. Um, right. And so they've cut that out entirely, but it seems like what Islam has done is they've replaced. So in Christianity, and I, I want to be careful because it's not the same thing at all, but it's, it's, it's kind of the same general concept in some ways. So what they've done, it seems like is it, they've replaced Jesus with Muhammad. So Muhammad is their figure that has been elevated their, their, I don't want to call him the Messiah because it's not exactly the role that he plays for them, but he is the figure that they have elevated to like almost right below Allah because even their profession of faith, the Shahada, it states that there is no God, but God and Muhammad is the messenger of God. So they've kind of elevated Muhammad to, to right below Allah. Is that, is that fair? I mean, sort of. Um, but at the same time, it's like, obviously in Christianity, Jesus is, so, like for for Islam, Muhammad is still just a man, uh, and, right? And Jesus is, for Islam, also seen as just a man. Um, yeah. But when they look at it, it's Muhammad. The the big thing is he was just the last prophet. But Jesus is still a great individual. They, in fact, they're going to believe some of the things that point to his greatness. Uh, it's like at the end time, whenever there's uh, judgment, it's like he's over some of this. Um, when they look at it and they say, look at the birth of Christ, they're going to agree he was born of a virgin. Uh, they're going to agree that Jesus did a lot of miracles. It's like Muhammad was known for doing, not having a life of miracles, but Jesus did. So it's like, it, it's, it's not so much they elevate muhammad up into the same level jesus is as they just pull jesus down but you are right in the sense that they put a heavy focus on muhammad there's a lot more mentioned about muhammad in islam than there is about jesus no doubt we have the hadiths where we which are just the hadith are it's just a bunch of stories about muhammad that are passed down a collection of stories about him. And so we have those of Muhammad that we'll share. Now, in the Quran itself, it tells the Muslim to to go to the Injil or the gospel. And it's like the gospel is there's something good in there. And, and the Muslim is told to go there. Uh, of course, they don't in practice often carry that out. But nonetheless, that is in their Quran. But again, you are right. There is a heavy focus on Muhammad. But for okay for Christianity, it's a, okay. And so here's another big thing that's lost in this whole what they've done with the cross, taking that out. They've lost the uh, justice of Allah. But then they've also see they only see Jesus as a man, and Christianity is going to say no, Jesus, he is a man, but he's not just a man. He's right. he's the very son of God. So one of the things in Christianity that we have with, and, and all of this comes down to the gospel. It's like, that's the big difference. And in the gospel, we have God becoming man and coming to man. In the Islamic theology, 
we don't have any concept of God becoming man or God coming to man. And in fact, they would even say that, you know, for instance, when Muhammad, when he things were revealed, they would say Muhammad never actually heard Allah. It was angels that spoke to him. And so it's like there's a great distance in Islamic theology, a great distance between man and God. And that gap is trying to be bridged by man's good works. But in Christian theology, where it's all about the gospel, God becomes man and comes to man. It's like the bridging of the gap. Now, all of a sudden, Paul's going to come on later and say, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so we have God coming to us. He bridges the gap himself. Paul's also going to say to wit that God was, what was he doing in Christ? He was reconciling the world to himself. And so it's like the bridging of this gap between God and man, it's being bridged. God is bridging the gap. But in Islamic theology, God is way up there and way out there, and we don't hear him. We don't see him. He doesn't dwell among us. We hear the voice of an angel, and and it's like that's about as far as it goes. And so, mm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like I, I have to say that the Christian worldview, the gospel makes all the difference, and, and it's a much better, even aside from the fact that you, and you mentioned this already, you said, you know, the evidence, uh, Islam is sort of a revisionist approach. You know, the evidence supports the fact that Jesus was crucified, buried, and then the tomb was empty. You know, that's the evidence, not just in the Bible, but just, I mean, even outside of the Bible, all the evidence points to that. That's the way it unfolded. But it's like Islam has changed that and erased Calvary and changed all this. And even aside from the fact that the truth is with Christianity. It's like the Christian story is a much better story than the Muslim story as well, because our sins are actually taken care of. God is able to be merciful, but also just. And I guess, okay, so here's another problem that this just kind of compounds it. So think about justice for a minute, because if in the absence of the cross now, Allah has, we have trouble seeing him as both merciful and just. You know, he lets sin slide, bad work slide. Once Allah is unjust, it's like, what what does that do to your assurance of salvation? Right. To me, that that poses a a, a dilemma. If he's unjust, that I have a lot harder time trusting and resting in where I'm going to wind up at. But in the Christian worldview where God is just, he deals with all sin, nothing slides, and he doesn't change. It's it's like, well, I can be absolutely confident and rest in the fact that I've turned to him with all my heart, and he's not casting me out, and he's taken me in, and he's made me his son, and he's my father, and he's my God. We're his people. And it's like, I can rest in that and trust in that. and. And it works, but in Islamic theology, when Allah is not just, that puts a huge question mark over my assurance if he's not just, because how do I know if he's not just? How do I know that 
I'm not going to wind up where I think he told me I would wind up at. You know, it just, it creates a trust issue, I think, for them and Allah. Yeah, I I never thought about this before, but as you were talking and kind of describing the distance that Allah places between him and the people that subscribe to the Islamic um, worldview, it it seems to me, now, this is kind of an off-the-cuff comment, and I'm willing to admit that, and so maybe this is not fair. Maybe maybe in a hybrid sense, this might be more true, but it seems to me almost that Islam is a form uh, of deism in a way, because deism is basically just this idea that there is a, a higher power there is a god if if you'll if you'll put it that way that has created all things but he's so far removed himself from humanity as not to really intervene in the lives of people and and it seems like from from the description you've given me and maybe a hybrid would be a better way of uh, of characterizing that, but it seems like from the description, all of removing himself, leaving it up to the people to try to work their way to him, it's almost a, it, it seems to be anyway, almost a form of deism. I mean, maybe, okay, so the distance, it, it might not be completely, okay? So, okay, okay. So the distance that's created, that's true. There's distance between him and the people. He's not bridging the gap. They are by their good works. Yeah. But, the only reason, so so I might backpedal just a little off that, putting it at deism, and the only reason, so when they come to, like, for instance, the Old Testament, mm-hmm. they're going to agree that a lot of those stories really happened. They're going to agree even that God speaks to us. It's just, okay. so I don't know okay. that in, deism, in a deistic world, I don't know that you would have God communicating to man all that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. But it's just, it's still not, okay, so your word hybrid, play off that. It's like, maybe it's not complete deism, but there's there's still, it's there's distance between man and God. That's true. It shares some of the characteristics of deism yeah. somewhat. But when, when Allah does communicate to man, it's like an angel goes and speaks to man. But you yeah. don't have Allah himself speaking to Muhammad. It's like an angel spoke to him. But in the Christian worldview, it's like God himself speaks to us directly. Uh, I'm not saying we all hear his audible voice with our physical ear, but he does speak to us personally and individually, not just through the medium of an angel. And in fact, it's like, so here's another thing. and, and, And seeing Jesus as the very son of God, it's like, well, now that kind of brings us to, well, part of the difference between Islam and Christianity is going to hinge right down onto how we see the very nature of God. We understand God as a triune God, and we've talked about that before. Islam says, no, he's just absolutely one person. Allah never had a son, and so Jesus cannot be the son of God because Allah doesn't have any ch- children or any sons. He's just one. But in the Christian worldview, it's like the spirit of God, there's a trinity, and the spirit of God dwells within me, lives inside of me, communicates right to me. It's like the Muslim doesn't know anything of the idea of being indwelt by Allah. They don't know anything of that concept. And so that's Mm -hmm. just going back to that distance thing too. It's like, in yeah. the Christian worldview, we're brought in so close to God. And how is it that we're brought in so close? It all goes back to that thing we started out talking about, which was the cross. 
that really the gospel is what separates Christianity from Islam. Islam is these works. Christianity, it's it's the gospel. God became one of us and came to us and and died in our place. And and that cross and the resurrection of Christ, it's like that becomes the foundation and the heart of Christianity as a whole. And and that's yeah. what really, really distinguishes and separates everything. And so for the Muslim, there is that distance. And that's what I think with the term deism, it's like, well, you do see a lot of distance between God and his creation. And maybe Islam isn't exactly that, but still, yeah. it, it is a lot of distance. You know, it's definitely isn't the kind of engagement and interaction that's in the Christian worldview. Definitely not. Yeah. And I think that's the main point that I was driving at is, uh, and, and maybe deism, like, like you said, wasn't necessarily a, a, an extremely accurate term to describe it. But, but the point is like you, you said so well is that in Islam, you have such a distance between Allah and the adherence of Islam. Whereas in Christianity, you don't, there's, there's a, a, we, we believe in a God that desires to have a personal relationship with each individual person that surrenders their life to him. And that's, that's a great, I think a great distinction between the two. And uh, one of the, one of the many reasons why I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be a Christian is right. because I do have a God that is, is a personal God. It's not, he's not a God that has made himself unattainable or unreachable, but he is personal and he, he can hear me when I speak and he speaks to me and it's, it's very encouraging and, and assuring to know that. Right. Exactly. So on pulling back from this whole discussion, this is just one little uh, um, um, note that I'd like to make. And it's connected to everything we've already said. So Islam, he never died on the cross. Christianity, he was crucified. Three days later, tombs empty. He appears. He's raised from the dead. But it's like when you're standing back and trying to evaluate these two different claims, two opposing claims, who's right? What's the truth here about yeah. Jesus? It's like at the end of the day, Matthew... Mark, Luke, John, we can come to some of the epistles of Paul. It's like these books are written very shortly after the time that Christ lived, walked this earth, died, and rose from the dead. Uh, and so within a very short time, it's like First Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives, I mean, the gospel in a nutshell, the details of it, how he was he died, he was buried, he was appeared to raised, appeared to many, you know, it's that we've got those details. And first Corinthians is written early on. And so we've got a very short time after that uh, Jesus is gone, no longer with us in the flesh. We've got this, it, it's, it's laid down. This is what happened. Jesus was crucified. He died. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared to all these people. That's what happened. And that's what the church was saying just a short time after Jesus isn't with them. And then you have to wait like, what, 500 years, almost 600 years. And it's like, all of a sudden, Islam's on the scene. And Islam comes along and says, oh, yeah, Jesus, he never died. You just thought he died, but he never died. It's like, who do you think stands the greatest chance of being right in this case? Just trying right. to be as objective as we can on this, even apart from the fact that 
God lives within us and speaks to us. You couldn't convince me that Islam was true and Christianity was false. I know the presence of God. and But all that stuff aside, it's like from just an objective, trying to be as objective as possible, I, I think we would have to trust those who were actually eyewitnesses more and yeah. say they probably had a better idea of the events that were going on than the guy who lived like 600 years later. Right. And so it's just the testimony of Christianity. And then you have the testimony and Paul's testimony, especially as someone who doesn't want the gospel to be true, because if the gospel is true, at least at first he didn't, if the gospel is true, it's like he's putting people to death and condemning them and dragging them to their death. And, and, and he's fighting against God. It's like, he doesn't want Jesus to be the son of God. And yet he has this meeting with Christ on the Damascus road and is radically transformed. And it's like that testimony. Do you really think that Paul who lived and had this experience just a short time after Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection, do you really think he had less of an idea of what was going on than what Muhammad who lived 600 years later I don't think so. I think I'm going to take the testimony of Paul over the testimony right. of someone who lived 600 years later. So, and 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 again, even even taking that aside, it's like, well, are there is there any other evidence anywhere to support Islam's claim of what happened? And and there's not. But then when we ask, is there any evidence elsewhere to support Christianity's claim that Jesus was crucified, buried, the tomb was empty three days later? And it's a, yes, absolutely, there's all kinds of other evidence. We can go to Jewish historians and Roman historians and and Greek philosophers and all these different ones who mention different details and give give descriptors and of kind of what happened and what's going on and mention Christ and mention his crucifixion. And we know from outside corroborating sources that he died, he was buried. Three days later, the tomb is empty. Right. And I think that's that's extremely important, too, to recognize the fact that you have two, again, two competing worldviews, but you have one that has a an abundance. It seems like, you know, and, and again, I realize that many might label us biased because we are in that tradition, but it seems like from us, from just a, a our vantage point, there is an abundance of more evidence that supports the Christian worldview as opposed to the Islamic worldview and, and what the Islamic claims are on, on the, the history of, uh, of events that took place in these lives that were recorded in scripture. So I think, I think that's a, a great distinction to make as well. That's true. Now I would, if I, if you'll allow me to, it's like, well, sure. We're biased. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I mean, everyone no, has their all. biases, and that's that's fine. It's like, uh, is is a biased just because someone is biased in their views doesn't mean their views are wrong, you know? That's right. But at the end of the day, it's like so I can present a solid case and all kinds of other evidence, even outside of the Bible. A lot, tons of evidence from in the Bible. It's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul. These are all independent witnesses. Sometimes we forget that. It's like we we consider the Bible as that's the Bible. Well, yeah, it is, 
but it's actually a collection of books that were individually written by individual authors. And, and, and even secularists will admit that it's like the Bible didn't just one day get published and like, wow, someone just wrote all of this all at once. No, different authors over time wrote this book. So it's like, you don't get to just be like, well, there's the Bible and then there's the Quran and two different witnesses. Who's right? That's not it at all. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, there's Paul, there's Peter. These are all independent witnesses who are testifying and corroborating the fact that he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. Then you have Muhammad who says he didn't. And it's like, then I I, want to ask, well, and and I, I'm just playing off this idea of you, you'd mention how some might say, well, yeah, but you guys are biased. It's like, I would actually like to see the Muslim present their case for how things happen. It's like, can you actually, even outside of Muhammad's testimony, it's like, so we've got Paul and Peter and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and all these witnesses that are saying this is what happened. And then you've got Muhammad. It's like, is there any evidence that Muhammad is right other than the fact that you want him to be right? And I think they're going to have a hard time making their case. But we've got books that have been written by Christian scholars who have written books and they've said, here's the evidence. He really did die. He really did rise from the dead. And they've pulled in all kinds of quotes from history, even extra biblical quotes. You know, it's like the evidence is in. If you're going to follow the evidence, you're going to wind up on the side saying there was a cross. Jesus was crucified, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said he really was. And so if you're following the evidence, that's what's going to take you. What was that? Oh, his name just slipped my mind. I probably shouldn't have even mentioned that. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe you can help me out. The Muslim guy who got converted to Christianity. Oh, N- Nabil Kharesi? Yes, yes. His story. It's like he had a friend in college who I think basically from, from his testimony challenged him. It's like he was telling his friend, you know, you, you know, Christianity's not true and all this stuff. And his friend kept answering him. All of his objections kept giving him answers. And finally, one day, his friend turned to him and he said, okay, can you actually, it's like we've been digging in and trying to show that the Bible's true and trustworthy and all this. He's like, can you make a case for the trustworthiness of the Quran? You know, and that really got Nabil going. He started trying to construct a case for the Islamic worldview, for the Quran, you know, and he couldn't do it. The evidence wasn't there, and he struggled with it, and he began to realize that the evidence all pointed toward Christianity, not Islam, as being true. And, and it's like, that's one thing I'd love to do with you know someone who said, well, yes, but you say that because you're a Christian. Actually, we know better. He didn't actually get crucified. Well, can you actually build a case, or are you just walking in blind faith? And, right. and, and I've at the end of the day, there's no case to be built to show that he wasn't crucified. All you have to go off of is the testimony of one man who lived 600 years later. And it's like, they can tell me about all these different men throughout Islam's history that, well, so-and-so believed it. It's like, yeah, but what was his evidence? Um, 
Muhammad said it, you know. So he's the sole witness that Jesus didn't die on the cross, the sole person to say it. But man, the cross separates Christianity. We've got a God that is absolutely has come right down and brought himself to us, become one of us. And he wants to be close to you, just like he came in the gospel. He wants to come right to you and me individually and be close to us and dwell within us. And oh, I say, let's live that out. Let's let him dwell within us. Let's live in him, him in us. And it's like living that out may be the greatest testimony for some of our Muslim neighbors. Thank you so much for listening today. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do that by clicking on the description of this episode and following the instructions down there. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us at askthecrossroads at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any comments, questions, or anything that you would like to write to us. Uh, if you would leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform that you listen to us on, that would help us out greatly. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.